Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Are you a motivated food blogger striving to meet financial or freedom goals? If so, then the Eat Blog Talk membership is for you. Take a journey with like-minded peers that will bring you past the overwhelm and straight into the arms of clarity. You will have direct access to guest experts delivering massive amounts of value into your business. You will have the opportunity to participate in monthly strategy calls, focusing on different aspects of food blogging. And most importantly, you will be part of a tight-knit, supportive, and encouraging family filled with people just like you. Visit eatblogtalk.com for more information, and the rest of us cannot wait to see you inside. Hey, food bloggers, welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. Today, I'm so excited to have a chat with Carrie Forrest from cleaneatingkitchen.com. We are going to talk about establishing a niche for your blog. Carrie is the creator of Clean Eating Kitchen, where she shares easy, real food recipes for women recovering from chronic health issues. Carrie has master's degrees in public health and in business, and she is a survivor of autoimmune disease, PCOS, and thyroid cancer. Carrie has been an avid blogger since 2009. Wow, you've been blogging for a long time, Carrie. That's awesome. Um, So in addition to that, do you have another fun fact to share with us today? Hi, Megan. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. And well, my fun fact is, um, maybe it's more of a funny fact, but I did not learn how to cook and actually really did not even know how to boil water until I was about 30 years old. So as a food blogger, I don't know, that seems a little um, counterintuitive. But yeah, I did not grow up learning how to cook. And um, I'm sure that contributed to some of my health issues. And really the extent of my cooking through graduate school and all that was baking a potato in the microwave and topping it with cottage cheese. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that is actually really funny. I love knowing that about you. And it's you're not alone. There are so many people I interview that say that same thing that they didn't grow up with food. Their parents didn't teach them how to cook, but they somehow through health issues or whatever uh, found a necessity to learn how to cook. So you're not alone with that, Carrie. I love it. The baked potato and cottage cheese sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, niching down is one of those buzz phrases right now, I feel like, right? So everyone is talking about how niching down can bring you the traffic and the people especially in recent years, food bloggers who have honed in on a really specific niche like you have, have managed to get to know their audiences better and they've just gained traction all across the board more quickly. So I want to hear about your niche because you have a very specific one. Tell us how you determined your niche, Carrie, and just kind of talk us through that. Yeah, and I will say that I think I was confused or I, I still get a little confused because I see some blogging courses and blogging experts actually saying not to, um, I say niche, but not to niche down. So 
it, I think it can be a little confusing and sometimes I question what I'm doing. But when I really go back and look at even my success that I've had from when I started, it really did come from niching down and being really specific about who my audience was. So just as an example, when I first started blogging way back in 2009, I just I had been reading blogs and I really just was like, I want to have a blog. I did not know. And at that time, I really, I was kind of starting to learn how to cook. So I didn't even start as a food blog. I was just more like, I want to have a blog. And um, then as like maybe over a year, I started to see more like vegan blogs and more specific blogs. And I was kind of going in that direction of a, of a, like a specialty diet. And so when I actually was a vegan blogger from about 2010 to 2014, and ultimately I personally moved away from a vegan diet. So I changed my blog away from a specialty vegan diet or vegan blog. But I did see that once I really started being really specific about what I was going to blog about, then it was just like naturally I was able to draw um, an audience that really resonated with my message. So, I mean, I can kind of see it both ways. There's a benefit of having a niche and I definitely have um, a niche to my blog now, which is uh, like gluten-free and dairy-free. But then also you don't, it's like you have to have both sides of the coin. You also want to have topics that will also draw in a wider audience. And so I can kind of see it from both ways. But I think ultimately, if you do talk to a specific audience member, you really are going to resonate so much more deeply um, with her and with um, an audience. Do you agree with this? I've talked to a few people recently who just talk about the concept of older bloggers, not like age older, but like (laughs) bloggers who have been around for a really long time being able to not have a niche and be more successful. Whereas today, if there were a newer blogger who was just starting out, even just a couple years under their belts, um, that it would be a lot harder. Do you think that's true? I do. And I think that comes down to like when you look at the keywords, when you start doing keyword research and you just see because the, the market really has become very saturated. So yeah, like if I had started 2009 and just had been like a healthy food blogger, um, I think I could have, like now I could probably go after keywords, like just, I don't know, maybe um, like a chicken salad or something. Whereas now, um, if you try to go after chicken salad, I mean, it's it's just too saturated. And so you're going to be likely more successful if you do something like um, a dairy-free chicken salad or even uh, like a vegan chicken salad or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So you said that you kind of started out not even having a food blog, right? So you started out kind of not knowing which way you would go and then you landed on food and then you went to vegan And then now your niche would be more like, did you say gluten-free and dairy-free recipes only? Is that kind of how it evolved? Yeah. And because that's not 
maybe as kind of like sexy a term as like a vegan diet or it's just not really as well known. I, I kind of make it a little bit broader to real food, um, like a real food uh, diet. But then um, for my audience member, like my specific, um, I guess you could say like my, you know, my, my ideal reader is that she really is probably gluten-free and dairy-free because she's dealing with um, like some of the health issues that I had, like autoimmune disease. And there seems to be a little bit of a consensus in like the functional medicine space about autoimmune disease that it's better to be gluten-free and dairy-free. So if somebody is really trying to manage her illness and she's like kind of dug down really deeply, she would likely be like, okay, I need to do a gluten-free and dairy-free. So then when I say that, she's like, oh, I, that's what I need. But then for like a little bit of a broader audience um, or maybe somebody who just has food sensitivities or she has like a child who has a dairy allergy, if I say real food diet, then that's like a little bit more, you know, like it's, it's more open and it's not quite as specific. But yeah, when I really get deep you know, dig down. It is a glute. All my recipes are gluten free and dairy free. I love the way you described that. I think that was awesome. And also that you talk to your or you talk about your avatar as if, you know, it is a she you're like referring to her as she instead of just like a um, they, you know, so you really seem to know who you're speaking to. And it also sounds like you landed on your ideal user very naturally. And there was a natural progress progression for you. But that doesn't happen with everyone. So what advice do you have for people who are starting out or maybe they've been doing it for a while and they just have no idea who their person is or what their niche should be? Yeah, I know. That is such a hard question. And honestly, I have thought about this for hours and hours and I don't know, maybe years <laughs> over over the years. It is a really, really um it's hard because also you don't want to limit yourself. And so when you start to think about your avatar, you worry about alienating other people. But I think it is really important. And I'm sure we may we might talk about this, but I'm also kind of playing with YouTube. And I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I'm playing with TikTok. And, and uh, oh my gosh, I have to say it's really fun. And I like it a lot more than I expected. I re really resisted TikTok, but it's fun. And so I think when you get into a video space as well, that also forces you to really think about your avatar. Because I've done some YouTube courses, and we spent a lot of time doing that. But I would say if you're not, you know, if you're not necessarily going into video, but you're really thinking about your blogger avatar, I think one great way to think about it is to think backwards. So put your if you're whether you're just starting or maybe you're a few years in, really think about what you're building and where you want to be um, like five or 10 years from now and then work backwards. And so when you think about like the business that you're growing, because you really are when you're when you're creating a blog, you're you are building a business or you can you can you can build a successful business. What is it that you're going to be building? And then when you when you reach that point five or ten years from now, like what is what do you want to see? Like where do you want to? What space do you want to be in? Who are you going to be talking to? And I think another way to think about it is 
what um what do your friends and family think that you're an expert in like what do they come to you and ask you questions about you know most um family members don't um <laughs> ask their their like I know my sister would never ask me for advice for most things she probably hates when I give her advice but there are a few things that she would ask me about and um like those are clues to what your your niche could be and like what you're an expert in and what you could and maybe even what your passion is because if people didn't see you as an expert then you probably um I mean you probably have a passion for it if people see you as an expert in that topic I think that is the best advice ever. Seriously, like what are the clues people are giving you? Because you have people who love you and who know you really well. And yeah, like they're asking you specific things. And it's also okay to come right out and ask them too, right? Like what what am I really good at? What do you think I'm an expert in? And if they, you know, that might be weird, a weird conversation for some people. But if it's your close friends and your family, they are most likely going to be willing to talk to you about that and say, I think you're great when you're hosting parties or you make really delicious um, vegan food or whatever it is. And those are the clues, as you said, Carrie. And then from there, you think about what you want in your business five years from now. I love thinking about that. And I love pushing people to think about that too, because it's such a long ways away. But just thinking like, do I want to be on the Food Network? Do I want to be doing the same thing I'm doing now. I mean, it could be as simple as that, but then working backwards is brilliant too. So I think that is like the most awesome strategy ever. And that gives people um, actionable steps like, oh yeah, I can ask my mom today and see what she thinks and start dreaming about my five-year plan. I think that's awesome. Once you establish a niche and you're like, yes, this is what where I want to go, um, how do you start finding an audience? Because that is such a, for me, that was, it was so hard to fill that gap. Like once I decided, okay, I do want to focus on this. Where do I find those people? Are they already there? Do I have to go search for them? What do you think? Yeah. And that's really hard too. And until, I think until you have a few loyal readers and you even like know their names and maybe it's um, like for me it's people who message me on Instagram or even email me because then they're like wow they really do see me as an expert I mean I do have a master's degree but I'm not a doctor I'm not a nutritionist but I get people um, you know like a few loyal readers who they like really trust me and like that's a really amazing feeling but if you aren't quite there yet. I mean, I was there for a long time and it's like, okay, my mom's reading my blog and like, that's about it. Um, but Instagram is a really fantastic way to find your audience and to start to like carve your name out or to carve your niche out or to make yourself, I don't I'm not saying it right, but to make yourself like a place, find yourself a place. So you can do that through hashtags. Um, I've also found success in uh, really specialty diet Facebook groups. And um, but Instagram, I find it seems to be um, probably the best place to start to, um, I think, carve a name out for yourself. That was the expression I was looking for. Um, yeah, but and then um, you're 
Oh, I also wanted to mention that in the Facebook groups um, is a great place to read through what other people are posting. Um, like, for instance, I'm in a gluten-free and dairy-free lifestyle group. And it's not always, like, appropriate for me just to go in there and, like, post a new blog post. I mean, it, I do that. But it's a really great place for me to see what questions people are asking, like, what are they struggling with? Um, I have my own Facebook group that's just kind of like a basic clean eating group. And I can post polls in there so I can ask people like, you know, what are you struggling with? I can give them a few options. And what is really interesting to me is I will always have a prediction of what I think the answer will be like to a poll or to a question. And it I'm usually wrong. So, yeah, that's um kind of interesting I mean I think you should like go with your own intuition about things but I also find it very interesting to get direct feedback uh, like from my ideal reader from my actual readers and Instagram like you mentioned Carrie is a great place to do that because you have the polls feature and you have the questions and you can do uh, calls to action in your posts and people respond on Instagram I feel like more than anywhere else don't you Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's a great place for that kind of interaction. Yeah, and it really all comes down to listening, just tuning in. You mentioned going to Facebook groups and just observing. What are people asking about? What are they talking about? What are they wanting? Take note, like literally take out your pen and paper and just write that down because sometimes we can observe and then it kind of goes away, right? But if we write it down, then we've got it and we can go back and look at it and then maybe it will align with what people are asking about on Instagram and, you know, all across the board. So I think that's great advice too. I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier about video. You mentioned that videos like doing TikTok or YouTube um, or other live videos kind of forces you to think about your avatar or your ideal user. Will you talk through that? Because I thought that was really interesting and I've never really thought about that. Yeah. And I think it came from um, a course I took. There's, I mean, I'll just go ahead and mention it, but there's like when I started digging down in the YouTube space, um, I mean, as a food blogger, you kind of automatically think, well, I'm going to do a cooking show. Um, but I don't know, that didn't really appeal to me so much. And I think because like there's been the whole like the hands in pans videos, um, which I think are maybe not as popular as they were in like 2000, I don't I would say like 2014 to maybe 2018, like I know bloggers grew their Facebook pages and um, Facebook traffic by huge amount doing the hands in pants videos, um, which, you know, it's like the one minute overhead tasty style. And so a lot of bloggers also put those videos on YouTube. But and I did for a while. Um, but YouTube is really a space like it's much more it's much more intimate and P YouTube viewers really want to get to know um, the person who is on YouTube and they just like they want to know what your house looks like and I mean it's just it's 
it's a little bit um, unnerving in in how vulnerable you're expected to be on YouTube. And I have definitely not mastered it all. But I took a course um, called Video Labs. And there's a podcast. I think it's called Video Creators. Um, I can double check. But the podcast has amazing um, information for people who are interested in tackling YouTube. But it's it's really different from vlogging. It's almost like building a second business, although they are attached. And I, I have seen other bloggers who do really well on YouTube have it translate into huge traffic for their blogs. But it's, yeah, it, it's just, um, it is a really big job. It's just not like something you can do on the side. So you kind of have to, like I've, kind of gone I've gone ups and downs with YouTube where I was like I am all in but then um honestly like once I was able to monetize on YouTube it is a fraction of the revenue that you can get from your blog so for me it right now it makes more sense um because my blog is growing for me to spend more time on my blog than YouTube um but part of what I learned um when I was really digging into learning how to master YouTube is that you do, it's almost even like more specific than your blog. Whereas like with your blog, um, we're talking about having a niche, but yet like on a blog, um, like my blog is gluten-free and dairy-free, but I have blog posts for it. My whole blog is not just, um, specifically gluten-free and dairy-free like I have a post that does really well how to freeze avocados that's not at all specific to gluten-free and dairy-free but yet on YouTube um, if I did a video on how to freeze avocados that really wouldn't it wouldn't generate a lot of excitement um, so it's it's like a whole different beast um, YouTube is <laughs> Yeah, I've heard I've heard other people say that as well. It's just like a, an entirely separate entity, but you can incorporate it into your blog blogging business. But you can like some people really dive into YouTube and just do that as kind of like a standalone business. But it for food bloggers can be just like a compliment, right? Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah. And I think like it's also a really amazing place to build community. And I think one reason I, I have been drawn to YouTube and now TikTok is that um, blogging has changed so much in terms of community. And I mean, like I still feel connected to my audience, but it's really blogging. Um, as you know, it's like a lot of it now is about keyword research. It's about finding topics that haven't been covered by like all recipes or Healthline. So um, right now with my blog strategy, I'm not thinking what is, I mean, I'm kind of thinking what's best for my audience, but I'm more thinking like what's a keyword that hasn't been covered that is, you know, good for my size and would generate me some traffic. Like that's not really community driven. Whereas I feel um, YouTube is much more community driven and like you get immediate um, comments on your videos on YouTube. Whereas I don't know, I rarely get comments on my blog anymore. It's just changed so much in that feeling of like community and stuff. I'm um, like, I have a, 
there's a channel I watch on YouTube, like religiously. And um, it's this lady in Italy and she kind of blogs about her life and shows what it's like to live there. And her, she talked about, um, and her husband, he's Italian and has an amazing accent, you know, and everything. And (laughs) he was saying like, um, this is like, we, we are a family, like all of, you know, we make videos and you leave comments and we feel like you're our family. And I really felt like that. Like, wow. Yeah. It made me feel so happy because I've been watching this channel for uh, like since the pandemic started and watching the channel grow. And I really felt like that. And um, I have not felt like that with a blog, you know, with my blog or any other blog for a really long time. And that's just the way that the industry has changed and, you know, the way blogging has changed. But that's kind of like where I feel like video is kind of picking up the slack. I love how you talked through that. I think you are so spot on with that. Uh, YouTube is great for community. And my son, as you were talking about the um, the channel that you follow, my son is obsessed with this channel. It's just like about a beagle puppy. It's called Oliver the Beagle. And it's so simple. This guy, the owner of the beagle, just like shows Oliver's adventures. And I'm like, really? That's interesting. But he feels like that. He's like, Oliver is my friend. I'm like, okay. But yeah, I mean, totally community driven. And he goes on there. He's so loyal to it. Um, But you're right with blogs. It used to be the same. Like people would come on and they would comment on my posts all like I, my older posts, I have 600 plus comments on some of my older posts that never happens today. Yes, never. Exactly. Like if I get one or two, I'm like, that is awesome. That's a lot. But yeah, it is totally different. And keywords and keyword research is kind of how we think about our blog side. So if you do want that community and to get really specific with what you're delivering, YouTube is a good place to go. I love that, how you framed that, Carrie. So how do you recommend people dig into SEO with really niche topics because it it is kind of overwhelming and it's kind of robotic sounding. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, not to harp on keyword research, but that is really the key to success for blogging right now. I mean, I really strongly believe that. And um, I mean, I spent years like writing content that nobody was searching for. Maybe my I don't know, 10, 100 loyal readers read those blog posts when they were published, but then they were never read again. And so I spent um, the better part of 2020, and I guess this is like the silver lining of the um, pandemic in 2020 is I just had a lot of time to clean up my blog. So I ended up um, deleting probably about 600 blog posts Yeah. So, um, and then I spent, you know, the other part of the time, it's easy to delete, but um, it's harder to fix old blog posts, but I've been spending a lot of time doing that too. Um, But I think SEO, um, search engine optimization and keyword research can be um, an indicator of like what your audience is looking for. So, um, I'm like I said, I'm constantly surprised like what my audience tells me, but SEO or keyword research is kind of also a way of your audience telling you what they want. Like I'm um, constantly surprised by 
like I'll think, oh, a dairy-free, um, let's see, like a dairy-free smoothie, like say a dairy-free strawberry milkshake. That's got to have a lot of, like people have to be looking for that. Like that sounds good to me. But then I, I do the keyword research and it's maybe 10, 10 searches a month. So that is telling me, okay, no, that's not right. That's not what my audience or an audience is looking for. And then, um, you know, maybe it's actually like a vegan strawberry smoothie is what they're looking for. Um, so that's where um, keyword research comes in. And um, I think I also mentioned this too, but it's okay too to go outside of your niche. And I mentioned like how to freeze avocados because I don't like you can start to your niche can start to feel uh, like a prison like you can't go out of it but you can because you also want you want a little bit of a wider audience than your niche because um, you just you don't want to limit yourself but you don't want to like I wouldn't make a post about how to make a um, like a raw milk smoothie because that would be really that's almost like the opposite of my niche, but I could make um, like an almond milk smoothie, a coconut milk smoothie. There's so many options. Um, but yeah, like, so I think that's where keyword research comes in. Yeah, it is super important right now, Carrie. I agree. And I know that you recently got an audit, right? With Casey Markey and yes, he stresses that wherever he is, he talks to food bloggers all the time. He always says that too. Like it's very important um, I love what you said about not being afraid to go outside your niche a little bit because it, it can feel like a prison. It can feel like, well, wait, that's not exactly aligning. But I think you could be surprised by some things that actually take off. I like, I want to say like two years ago, I started making homemade sauces just because my husband had like stomach issues. And it seems like every store-bought sauce that we bought would have like yeast extract or something that would just like put send him over the edge. So I was like, enough, I'm just going to start making my own. And I started putting them on the blog and they're like top posts now. I mean, people love my sauces. I never would have thought that. And it doesn't align really with anything else that I do. Just experimenting a little bit, going outside of your normal, I think it really can't hurt as long as it's not, like you said, totally contradictory but if it fits in even a little bit then I say give it a try yeah and I think also like when you're picking your niche you do have to be a little bit careful like you do want to make sure um like if you right now in um 2021 if you picked instant pot as your niche like mm, like that's a little bit mm, because instant pot is still really popular but is it going to be really popular in 10 years like it probably will be but it's a little bit also of a saturated niche and maybe yeah and also like you have to think are you going to be as passionate about instant pot in five or ten years um, as you are right now so you yeah you have to be a little bit um, careful not to build your own prison like you don't want your niche to be like that Um, like um when I had a vegan blog, you know, sadly, um, it just wasn't like the diet wasn't working for me or the lifestyle wasn't working for me um, for the long term. And I didn't anticipate that. And so 
I mean, that was difficult to like, um, say, okay, this is not my niche anymore. Um, and it is kind of interesting on my website. Some of my, I have a few blog posts about like, um, a vegan diet not working for me. And those continue to be uh, among my most popular posts as well. Oh, interesting. That yeah. is very interesting. Yeah. I think that anytime you incorporate an appliance into your niche, you have to be really careful because, I mean, the Instant Pot is huge, obviously, but yeah, you've got to kind of think ahead. Slow cooker, I mean, I feel like the slow cookers stick around forever. They've been in existence for eternity. So maybe the slow cooker would be a good option, but anything else I'd be really careful. And you can incorporate those things into an existing niche. So you could do like, um, I don't know, like easy dinners and have a bunch of Instant Pot recipes inside of that, but you're not locking yourself into like instantpotfoodforlife.com or something like that. Yeah, I think that's good advice um, not to base your niche around a, an appliance. And I love Instant Pot, but it can go into just about any area. So what if somebody has landed on a niche and they really like it and then like you, you decided you wanted to go a different route or maybe expand a little bit into different areas? Do you have advice for that? I would... Um try to push the boundaries as much as you can. But at a certain point, like if you are like, say you are like me, say I'm, I do have like a real food, gluten-free and dairy-free diet. Let's say all of a sudden, you know, magically, um, my body, my health changed where I could eat gluten and dairy. You know what, honestly, what I would do, um, looking back on my experiences is I would start a second blog instead of, um, like contradicting everything I've built and maybe trying to reverse everything is I would consider starting just starting a new one. Um, because um, I think ideally once you've established yourself in a niche and I don't know, you don't want to be in that niche anymore. It's just, it's really kind of heartbreaking to, to have to tear down what you've built rather than either trying to, you know, expand on your niche or just kind of push the boundaries a little bit. Um, so I think I would try to get some advice um, before you do anything drastic. Yeah. And, and maybe even talking to like an SEO expert, just because I think it's easy. Um, like we're human. So we're emotional people. And I mean, we just naturally we have feelings about and we like to have like breakpoints. And we're like, okay, I'm not going to be like, for me, it was like, I'm not going to be a vegan blogger anymore. Well, if I'd really like thought about it, like maybe there was a way to work with it rather than destroying, um, you know, like really um, pushing away my audience. It, it was a really traumatic time for me. It's like 2004. It took a long, like it took many, many years, not just like emotionally, but like I really destroyed, you know, my audience, my page views, my growth trajectory. And I hate to see um, bloggers um, go through that um, when, when you don't have to. Oh, I like that advice. And I don't hear that often. I don't often hear bloggers saying, you know, start a separate website. I actually do know one other blogger recently who decided to do that. And I was like, oh, this is a new concept. But kind of smart because 
like you said, Carrie, going through that, you were devastated and you also pushed away your audience, which is not good. They were probably confused, right? Like, yeah. wait, what is yeah. she doing? We're here for her. And now she doesn't want us. What kind of feedback did you get from people during that time? Yeah, it was it was a rough time. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it was like I was going through my own like health issues and like my own kind of um, just swirling emotions and um, and then to feel like just being like, uh, I don't know, like rejected and that I was irritating people or, you know, for lack of better term. But um, yeah, it was a rough time. And I so I think but I mean, in a way, I kind of blame myself. I was like, I latched on, like I put myself in this community and now I'm like extricating myself. Um, so I, I kind of like did a lot of like self blame and things like that. Um, so, but I think, you know, that just kind of also speaks to when you're picking a niche, just be kind of, you just have to not, not put yourself into such a small box that if you do because you are going to grow over time so yeah like if you do put yourself into like an instant pot box and then you just you're going to grow over time you're and you're going to have new passions so you have to be cautious about that but I mean I think also it's just like that balance because um like I do still I feel really passionate and connected to like my gluten-free and and dairy-free audience and I don't like see any of that changing and even if personally like I like every once in a while of course like I'll try like some dairy and my body doesn't like that so um, I don't see like myself not being a gluten-free and dairy-free blogger in the future but even if I was like even if I did change I probably would stick to just doing gluten-free and dairy-free recipes because that really is what I've kind of like built my foundation on. Yeah. And you've learned from your past that taking yourself out of a world is harmful maybe to your people and to you. So you've learned from your own mistakes. So you want other people to learn that too. Just be really careful when you're deciding on a niche. Uh, Use the word prison earlier. Nobody wants to feel like they're in prison, right? So try to avoid that. Okay, what are your thoughts, Carrie, about making money as a niche blogger? We always hear about the big bloggers who make tons and tons of money, and they're typically not niche bloggers. They've got recipes from all different categories on their sites. But what do you feel about um, monetizing and being a niche blogger? Yeah, so you definitely 100% can um, make money as a niche as a niche blogger. Um I think that also speaks to making sure that you aren't too specific, that you can't write about um, kind of broader topics. Um, So um, it's just, it is, it's definitely possible. Um, I think that one um, way to like further your monetization is to keep an eye on what is working and then to write more like more blog posts or more recipes around the topics that are working. And like, I didn't really take that advice um, until a few years ago, but it's, it has worked around, it has worked for me and it can be a little frustrating because like you said, Google will, you have no idea what 
blog posts or topics Google is going to like rank you number one for, and it might not even be something that is your niche topic. And so you're like, for instance, this is kind of funny, but I'm like, gosh, many years ago, I wrote a butter coffee recipe. So butter obviously comes from milk. So that's a dairy product. And, um, but for people who have dairy allergies, because dairy or dairy sensitivities, I should say, um, because butter is mostly fat, there's not a lot of uh, like the protein that um, is inflammatory for people with dairy sensitivity. Somebody with a dairy allergy cannot have butter, but somebody just with a sensitivity can maybe get away with butter. So I rank really, really well for butter coffee, but yet I'm a gluten-free and dairy-free blogger. So um, now I haven't like made like butter tea. I don't know whether their kind of recipes, drink recipes would be made with butter, but I've, I've, I've done a few other coffee recipes and I think they've done okay, but nothing like the butter coffee recipe. But um, just this idea of that, um, yeah, for sure you can make money as a niche blogger. Just And then you just keep an eye on what's doing well and do more of that. Yes. Again, it comes down to listening and just observing and taking note. So you've been blogging for 11 years. I rarely find people who have been blogging as long as me, but that's a long time, Carrie. So how do you stay excited about blogging? People ask me that all the time and it's hard to answer it, but what keeps you excited? And then also, where do you see food blogging going in the future? Yeah, so it is hard because to be honest, um, like to be a successful blogger, it becomes a little bit of like you have a template and you're kind of just filling in the pieces day after day with new recipe posts because it is kind of like there's a template that works if you look at um, the most popular or not even the most popular because they can actually get away with more. But if you look at like you look at my blog, for instance, most of the recipe posts are formatted the same way and it's a format that works it's seo friendly it's just it's reader friendly it's it's kind of like bare bones it's not too many too many like personal stories that kind of thing um so that can get really boring and it's not like that um it's not as exciting to push publish as it used to be um like 10 years ago where then like you said you would get lots of comments immediately on your blog post. Um, so for me personally, um, I think, um, well, the potential for, for growth and earnings is a part of it because this is my full-time career now and I don't anticipate doing anything else, which is kind of crazy, but um, like that potential for, to see like revenue growing every month is exciting and that is part of the motivation. Um, but for me as like a creator, I also have to have a creative challenge, um, which of course can be like your food photography. You can constantly be improving on that. But for me, that's gotten a little bit boring. Um, so I think that's why I've kind of been playing with video. It is, oh my gosh, such a creative challenge. Yeah. And to be in front of the camera rather than behind the camera is a huge challenge, um, but it's also exciting. And so that keeps me excited. And um, 
like where I see the industry going is um, I see um, like this kind of like the keyword stuff um, in terms of like giving people what they're looking for in like a, a recipe format and kind of a template that's been developed. I think that is the future. You know, I don't see like blogs becoming like these really personal journal journals like they used to be. Um, so I think that's just going to continue where blogs really are kind of like um, just an online cookbook. Um, but I think that um, as humans, we continue to want to connect with people. And so I think that's where video is going to um, like really fill that that space online. What a great answer. That's, yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. I think you're right. I think we're going to keep honing in on what is working as far as just creating a recipe post and not a journal. I don't think we'll ever go back to that journal style, which honestly, it's fine. We can find other avenues to connect and be creative. And I think you're right, Carrie, there's so many opportunities to stay creative and challenged in this world. So maybe just think outside your blog a little bit if you're struggling with that, like, oh, this is getting boring. There's video like you mentioned, TikTok, YouTube. Um, There are so many different platforms that you can really dig into if you're getting bored. Like maybe you want to take 2021 to grow your Instagram following or something like that. And new platforms are popping up all the time. Now Clubhouse is on the scene and goodness, I mean, it's like you have never ending options, right? To (laughs) dig into at any given moment. Yeah. But you you also have to kind of filter that because you don't want to get overwhelmed. Like I've been there too, um, where you're trying to do everything. And like, I'm still like a really a one woman shop. I don't have a lot of help. I pretty much do everything um, on my blog and just, you know, I do my own Pinterest and everything. So that can be a little bit overwhelming to think about adding something new, but that's where I think you have to just look internally and see like where you're lacking. Like if you do want more of a creative challenge or maybe you're motivated solely by revenue and, you know, page view growth, which is totally fine. Um, And that can be really motivating Um, so it really just depends on you as a blogger, like what you feel like, um, like, yeah, where you, where you want to grow personally. Um, and I think one thing that has become, um, something that I've been thinking about recently is because I worked so hard in 2020, like I was so focused just on like repairing my blog and and fixing it uh, after just like so many years of you know bad blog posts um, that I kind of got into a bad habit of like not really having a separation of like work and um, personal life. And of course, we were all home, so really easy. So I'm kind of um, putting some like recently I've stopped publishing on the weekends. And that has been really um, like, wow, really rewarding just to have a few hours off on a on a Saturday afternoon. Um, And it kind of gives me more space to be creative because I'm not just like the next, the next, the next blog post. Um, So you don't want to like try to do so many things that you get burnt out. Oh, I love that. That speaks to me. I learned that lesson in 2020. 
and just started setting my work aside. I've, I've been a blogger for, I mean, so many years who has just worked to the bone. And like I worked all the time. And in 2020, I kind of came to a point where I realized I need to set this down. I need to be showing up for my family and myself. And it was a game changer for creativity, for productivity. You'd be amazed how much more productive you can be when you set your work down. So that and like sleep, I was sleeping better. I was making more money or more opportunities were coming. I mean, I could go on and on. So I'm a huge proponent of that. Just setting it down. You don't need to do it all and you don't need to do it all the time. And it actually is counterproductive when you do that. But that is a whole other topic. (laughs) I could go on and on about that one. I have to ask you this question because we've kind of alluded to it a little bit in our talk. Where do you see yourself in five years, Carrie? Where do I see myself? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I, you know, really what I am most excited about is the video stuff. I mean, I kind of brought it up more than a few times. So um, I'm so bad at it. I have to be honest. Like <laughs> I am so uncomfortable. I, I'm just really, it's, I think about it a lot. Like, what am I going to do? I have like so many notes about what I want to do with video um, and probably specifically YouTube. I'm kind of using TikTok as a place. Like I'm, I'm kind of thinking of it as like my little, like my practice area for YouTube um, because TikTok is just so much more informal um, than a produced YouTube video. And so it's almost like a way for me to explore like what I'm going to do with video. But I would love to see myself in five years, um, like being comfortable on camera and just not being so like feeling so vulnerable. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, because it's like as a blogger, you're writing and it you can you can edit what you write of course you edit what you write you're careful about what you say and on video like you can't really hide your expressions and it's just it is a whole different ball game it's just to me it feels so vulnerable so i would love to feel more confident i would love to have like built an audience where i feel connected and confident well you seem really excited about it and i think that that will serve you. And if you will move past those fears and the vulnerability eventually, if you keep at it. So I'm, I'm excited to see how this works out for you. I think it's awesome to dive into something like a little bit different than writing out your blogging. And I'm such a strong believer in if something feels uncomfortable or weird or scary or all of them, that you need to do it anyway, because that's probably a sign that it's just like something that you need to conquer. And you already know that you're already there. You're like, yes, this is uncomfortable and vulnerable, but I want to do it anyway. So good for you. I'm excited to watch that unfold. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's not like skydiving. Like I don't think about skydiving like, oh, I want to do that. You know, it's like, no way am I doing skydiving. But video, I just keep like, I keep watching other people's videos. And it's almost like the same feeling I had with blogging, whereas I read blogs for at least a year or two. And I just felt like I want to add my voice. And I feel that same way about video. It's like, I have something to say too. And I don't quite know how I'm going to say it or you know how how I'm going to do it, but I just feel like compelled to be part of it. 
Oh, I love how you worded that. And did you know that I'm a skydiver? Oh, no. Oh, I thought you said that because you knew. That's funny. <laughs> no, it's just oh, that's like funny. my worst fear. That is, it's so funny because a lot of people say that. My husband and I are both skydivers. And for us, it is the most calming peaceful thing ever so when I hear the word I'm like oh lovely but other people are like ah panic crazy wow that is so hilarious I had no idea I mean unless I read it somewhere and my subconscious brought it out but yeah no like that's one of those things that like uh, there's like absolute zero interest (laughs) yeah if you have no interest then you probably shouldn't do it some people most people are like yeah maybe I'd try it but yeah Anyway, that was awesome. I loved your answer for that, Carrie. If you had one takeaway for food bloggers along the lines of niching down or anything that we've talked about, what would it be? Okay, I actually have two. And um, one is to just remember that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so if you're starting out, just like pace yourself and just try to do a little bit every day, like try to do some good work every day. And then the second piece of advice is to really stay focused on your content because I see a lot of bloggers who are really like they make like 10 pins per blog post and it's almost like they get um, or like trying to make a video for every blog post. But I really believe in um, making lots of good quality content and like the only way you can do that is every day you're finding a new recipe you want to make or you're updating an old recipe but you're really like constantly working on your content rather than kind of like the supporting pieces um, because you can get easily distracted so even like for me with video I was getting really distracted and um then I wasn't publishing as much. But if you really want to be successful, and I mean, a lot of us are depending on this income now. And so for me, I think the advice is to stay focused on your content and just not get too distracted. That's great advice. Thank you so much for being here, Carrie. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. You're very fun and easy to talk to. So Thanks for taking the time and adding all this value to food bloggers' oh, lives and businesses. Thank you so much, Megan. Yeah, this was fun. So before you go, do you have a favorite quote or additional words of inspiration for food bloggers? Um. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think I would just reemphasize the marathon, not a sprint. Um, I, I have to tell myself that all the time, um, you know, like not overworking, um, not like just thinking about the short term. It's just um, keeping that in mind and really thinking about like those long-term goals. And um, I mean, like a five-year marathon is a long marathon. So um, don't, you know, burn yourself out. Yes. Great advice. We will put together a show notes page for you, Carrie. If anyone wants to go look at that, uh, we'll just have takeaways and anything that we've talked about. You can find that at eatblogtalk.com forward slash clean eating kitchen. Carrie, tell everyone where they can find you online. Yeah, so I am on Instagram, I'm clean eating Carrie, but then on YouTube and TikTok, I'm clean eating kitchen, which is my blog name. So um, I'm kind of hanging out there a lot in those places these days. So you can find me there and I um, 
I look at my messages on Instagram, you know, all the time. So feel free to reach out and I love connecting with other bloggers. Great. Well, thank you again so much for being here, Carrie. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.